Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hello, Jay. How's it going? It's going all right. Happy birthday, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey everybody, it's Jay's birthday today. Great. It's awesome. Yeah, they can they can live chat on our live chat yeah. right now. Well, look at all those happy birthdays coming yeah, in. Look at all of them coming in there. Thumbs up. That's yeah, nice. Nice, yeah. Dude, 80% of our listeners right now are thinking, wait, you can do this live? You can listen <laughs> to it live? <laughs> We're joking. There's no live. There's no live chat. Sorry, everybody. Nobody's nobody's saying happy birthday today. That would be fun to do that sometime. We I thought we could a, figure that we out. We could totally do that. That'd be really fun. With all 14 of our listeners. Yeah. Well, that be easy to get the word out it would be we could just tell them all <laughs> tell each one of them hey we're gonna do a live chat and then reschedule it around their schedules that's when you know yeah. that's when you know you're not popular enough to do a live chat is when you can take input from them on like what works for them let me know what works yeah we'll let me know work. what works for you <laughs> that's we a, should do that i bet that's i'll a talk bad. to jeff bauer about that okay That'd be fun yeah it would be fun to take live questions mm-hmm. and live you know um we did have a thought, by the way. I don't want to lose it, but we did have some feedback. It's kind of half question and half, like I don't know, critique. Mostly question. That's here. Sure. Well, I don't think we start off with that, do oh, we? Oh, okay. I didn't know. You got to save I that, I didn't know man. what you like, meant. That's our A material. So, I don't want to like, just like, go right out of the gate. And um, yes, well, you, yeah, you mentioned my birthday. It's my birthday, and yay. Isn't it weird like, as you get older? I don't know, yeah. man. It's just kind of... Well, it's unique. I mean, the really neat thing is someone brought in some nice zucchini cake this morning for you. That was yeah. exciting. Yeah. I'm excited to have a piece waiting on my desk as my reward after the podcast. It was delicious. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel like everyone was mad at me, though, because I wasn't eating it. I didn't want to eat cake this morning, but then it made... And you got it, shamed into eating. Well, it became clear that no one was going to eat it unless I ate it. There so is an like, etiquette to that, I think. But I feel like if the birthday person says, no, please go ahead, I don't... I guess I I guess I could have taken a piece and just gone and put it on my desk. I wish I had been in there. I could, I could have helped you out. Yeah, you just ran away. I was getting some stuff done. Okay. One of my favorite. So here's a birthday it's a great treat birthday thing. Celebration. Back yeah. when I was a in IT, so a long time ago, um, most of my coworkers coworkers were from India, and on their birthday they would always bring samosas, and it was like such an exciting thing. So maybe we should do that for the next birthdays. Find. Uh, a big thing of samosas. We could drive down to Green Bay and that'd be really fun. Do you want to describe to people what samosas are? Samosas like an, an Indian um, savory, usually in the shape of like a three-dimensional triangle. Yes. Breaded on the outside, like fried kind of. And then on the inside is potatoes and peas and Indian spices. It's just delightful. I just didn't want people to confuse them with mimosas. Oh, yeah. No, That's what mimosas. I was like. I think I think if someone didn't know, wasn't familiar with both of those Google things, it. they'd be like, oh, are they drinking on their, like, is that what happens in the <laughs> yeah, staff that's what we birthday were... parties? <laughs> well, that was my old job, so you never know. But no, we weren't drinking. Right. But yeah. It was a wonderful, delightful uh, experience. Well, good. So I hope that I hope that today, Jay, we can make this day full of life and joy for you here in the office. How about let's just start with the podcast and okay. try to let's power through the podcast. James, nothing let's like, meet this with joy. And yes, count it joy. Count it joy when you do record podcasts of various kinds for the testing of your faith. On your birthday. On your birthday produces <laughs> that was good. steadfastness. I'm excited about uh, James. It's one of my, it's like over the years, it's been one of those ones where certain t- seasons of my life, I've read it and thought, 
I do not want to read this right now. Yeah. I can't handle this. And in other seasons, it has been full of encouragement. And I'm imagining as people walk through it with us, they'll have both responses depending on what's going on in their life. Sometimes James can feel a little hard hitting, right? It's like, oh my, this is really intense. And then other times it can feel like he gets it. He gets what I need right now. And I, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to walk through it. I think a big, I didn't mention this on Sunday, but I think a big recurring theme in how to read James is to realize that James's um, posture is, is it is not shaming. It is not like behavior modification, behavior modification. It's really about awareness. Like he's so often pointing to, listen, if this is the reality, like if you ask, you know, you think about how many times have people said, man, I, I asked God for this and he didn't answer me. And, we're hesitant to say, well, why do you think, why do you think he would like, do you actually believe in him? Do you actually trust him? Do you actually, what good would it do if he did answer you? Cause you know, often we end up saying, well, we just don't like the answer, but that's because we don't trust. So, so now you're treating him like he's some kind of cosmic genie where mm -hmm. you're just like, well, I just want you to fulfill my wish. And if you don't, I'm be really angry with you, which is kind of the actions of a petulant child. And so James is loving enough to say, hey, if you ask God for wisdom and you're not receiving it, this is probably why. Like you're asking while you're doubting. And it's not like a a shaming, like don't doubt. It's a loving, this is why this isn't working out for you, which you would, you know, you think about like if a doctor said, like prescribed you some medication, you know, that was supposed to clear up something and then you come back and it didn't clear, like you still have this illness and you ask him like, why? And he's like, well, did you, did you take the medication? No, I mean, I took like half of it and you're mad at the doctor. He'd be like, Hey, then why, why do you presume that you're going to receive any help? You didn't do what I, what I encouraged you to do. Um, certainly, you know, this in ministry, it's one of the more heartbreaking things where um, people will like we talked about desires, they'll go down the path that they want to go down, even against like counsel and wisdom and encouragement. Um, and so, you know, and, and they get mad at people who warn them and then they get mad at people <laughs> that warn them again when, when it all falls apart. And then they, I mean, it's just, it's, it, there've been multiple times in ministry where I'm like, ah, we, we cautioned you about this. We did everything we could to, Tell you, and now you're mad at God because you went down a road that was very clearly not of God and it it backfired. So I think that James is awareness. So when he talks about later, when he talks about the tongue, when he talks about, you know, um, you know, true religion, when he talks about um the idea of of um oh gosh my mind just went blank on the thing that had popped in my head of like, oh, this is in that th keeping in that theme. Um but when he talks about all those different things, it's just this awareness of be aware of the damage that your tongue can cause. Be aware of what religion looks like when it's when it's pure and what it, what God is desiring. Like we need to be aware of these things. So I think that's a big a big theme. Yeah, and he seems to work hard to reveal what's behind things. Like the yeah. So. Um, there's, there's the rich and the poor and, and who's actually really well off that question, which Jesus talked about that too. Right. And, and well, who's really blessed? What does that mean? 
and you mentioned this in your intro to the sermon on Sunday, um, in the beginning that, that a lot of what James is teaching here and writing for us is very similar to what we read in the Sermon on the Mount using different, different words and sometimes, uh, different ways of illustrating it. But again, it's like, what's behind the things we're experiencing. So he does that with suffering Mm -hmm. right away that like, it might appear like this is what's happening with suffering, but actually what God uses and what he does with suffering is this. And I think that's really helpful. I do like that you said his tone is not one of, it's not rebuke. It's, it's not, um, harshness. Um, it's meant to be encouraging. I, I think, I mean, that's how I feel throughout history, right? The church like has not always regarded it highly. Luther call it the straw epistle. He had problems trying to figure out how it worked with yeah. his newfound understanding of grace, right? And we'll we'll get to those passages as we walk through it. But yeah, I, I love that we also have these scripture journals. So if you didn't get one of those yet, we do have some left on Sunday. And I, I think it's really helpful to have as as you're processing the sermon, as you're thinking about it throughout the week. I know at in our house people are reading throughout the week, like what we just what you preached on, on Sunday, just to keep it fresh before us. And I think that's a great tool. Yeah, and I think, you know, how we mentioned, he starts off with count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds and then follows it up with wisdom. And I, that's one of the things I wish I had been able to connect more at the time. You know, like, you, you know, you have to cut things out and hope that you kind of, sometimes it's, okay, there are these three points. I, I got to communicate the one that I think is going to be most challenging, you know, or most necessary in that moment. Um. But so much of what James is doing is he's just stating reality, giving awareness. And then that's why he says, if, if this is confusing to you, then ask God for wisdom. Help, ask him to help you understand. But, you know, you're dealing with, imagine being in the early church and post-resurrection, you gotta, you gotta assume, you wonder, they, they thought that the return of Christ would be imminent. They thought maybe he's coming back within their lifetimes. They don't know, but they see him raised from the dead. They see him walking around, and then he ascends into heaven. And so there's got to be, there have to be a lot of people who thought, okay, well, now we're going to be in power. I mean, like we're going to, things are going to go better, but things get worse for them. And for so many of those who turned to follow Christ, things got worse. And you see this theme, every author points this out. You can tell they are talking to a group of people whose faith is being rattled because things are going poorly. Persecution is coming in. So you think about Paul when he says rejoice in your sufferings, like that's, but that's why you rejoice in those because you've been saved by grace. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials as though something strange were happening to you. You see all of the New Testament writers telling the church this is the plan. Don't don't let this don't let this catch you off guard. Don't let this decrease your faith. It is actually designed to build your faith. And I think James actually does he's uh, he takes a really great shot at demonstrating how that works, but he's also acknowledging in the passage about wisdom, he's acknowledging this is difficult to grasp. So he's saying like if this if this seems difficult for you to grasp how this works, ask God, you know, because he's, he's saying, listen, you're, 
you're facing all these trials and you are seeing them as evidence that God has forgotten about you and that God is not with you or that God is not powerful or that he is not good. That's how you are interpreting all of these trials. But what it's actually showing is it's God's kindness that he is building your faith so that it's steadfast and, and will have its full effect, making you perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And I just think like, man, that is so common in our world today. Like it's so amazing when you read this written 2000 years ago and now today it's still like, what is the number one complaint of people against God is like, why are things so hard? And, um, and so James's response is very relevant for us today. The issue then is, and James deals with this, the issue is you're either going to have people who are going to say, well, I don't like that. That's not the way it should be. Or people who just don't, don't believe it. And, and so either one of those, either doubting like, well, I don't, I don't like it. So then I'm going to, um, I'm going to trust my own wisdom and then be lured by my own desires. And James's point is like, that's what leads to death and like sin and death and destruction like being lured away. So as you're asking God for wisdom and when you're looking at this and you're saying, you know what? I'm I'm not I'm not going to rejoice in my exaltation if I'm poor. I'm going to um I'm going to feel as though something strange or unfair was happening to me in my poverty rather than trusting that God says you're going to be exalted. Does that make sense? Like it does. Kind of passing like yeah. Well, and I think you you highlighted like you said a, f- a few statements a couple minutes ago about the ways, the assumptions we make. And I think those can all be um, set as a question that we, that we ask when we, things start happening, when we start suffering in some way. So like, for example, we start to question, God, are you actually good? Mm-hmm. Like, don't you, don't you want me to avoid this? Why do I have to go through this? Or we question God's love. God, maybe, maybe that I've done something that now I deserve this because you, you must not love me if I'm going through this suffering. Or maybe we doubt if he's present with us. Well, if you're with me, God, there's no way that this should be happening. So like all those assumptions about the way life ought to be, they do result in questions. And I think temptations, we become prone to certain temptations. And it is to doubt, are you good? Are you loving? Are you powerful? Are you with me? Are you aware? Can you hear me? All those questions come up. And you have to think that if you if this early church was assuming a certain course and it wasn't going just like we would like if if it's not going the way we assume it should you will start to wonder did we get this wrong what have we done to deserve this all the questions that we ask and i think very naturally ask and i love that james immediately like if you look at the end of verse 4 so he's at the end of his talking about trial he says let let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. So he uses the word lack there. Like that's where we're headed. We're going to lack nothing. And then the very next verse is if any of you lacks wisdom. And to me, that's this model of like, when you don't know why things are happening, or when you feel like I'm missing this in my life, we are designed and and made to depend upon him for the thing that we need. So in that example, it's not lacking wisdom, lacking understanding, lacking comprehension of what's going on we ask. And to me that, I don't know, this book, which is often I think labeled as a book more about works, 
starts off very much about trust and faith. That's yeah, where he starts us. It's all about that. I think, yeah, the lacking wisdom and then understanding that if you ask, and I think it's important to point out that James isn't saying if there's even a shred of doubt or questioning or whatever, that that's not the point. I mean, all of us struggle with that. All of us in different ways. What he's talking about is being double-minded and and sometimes that's characterized, not always, but sometimes that's characterized of if you're going to go to God and say, okay, God, give me wisdom, help me understand this situation, and I'm going to take your response, whether that's from the Bible or from pastoral counsel or through prayer, and I'm going to weigh it against how I think the world works. Mm. And so I, I think that there might be something helpful. So this comes up sometimes when we say, well, I just want to see if there's something. So I'm pursuing like what I want. And I want to go to the Bible to see if there's anything helpful in there to help me get what I want. Um, validated or something. Either validated yeah. or just help me in that pursuit. Um, you see this with, I think I mentioned this before, but back in the, I think it was the 90s when it was really popular, the 2000s, um, Jesus as CEO. And so that's when terms like servant leadership really became really popular. And even in the secular corporate world, they would bring in some of that teaching and they would understand the value of servant leadership. Well, that's an example of somebody who's saying, okay, well, I want to glean some things here. I think there's some things in the Bible, for example, that could be helpful in my pursuit of making my company successful. Well, that's a double-minded person. You're not actually, you're not actually asking in faith. You're asking just for, you know, just some help in your own pursuits. And I just think that that is so common in the church, like that idea of the mindset of, well, I, I live my life, which you've mentioned before and you did before the podcast about the difference in freedom. And I tried to touch on that a little bit in the sermon of our, our idea of freedom and the Bible's idea of freedom are very different. But we get in these situations where we think uh, like a predominant thought in the American church is. I want to pursue my life because I'm like I'm free. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So the American dream, whatever that, however, whatever shape that takes, that's what I deserve. That's what I want to work hard for. When anything disrupts that illness or disaster that is not my fault, it feels unfair because something that I deserved or wanted is now being taken away from me. And I want if I'm in the American church, the version of that becomes, then I want God to bless my pursuit of the American dream. And if he doesn't, then I, I'm mad at him or I might turn away from him, but I look to the Bible to help me in my pursuit. I look to God to help me in that pursuit. And that, that concept versus saying it's not your life. Like to identify with Paul when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved and gave himself up for me. So this idea that my life is now Christ's and I live through that. So now I don't, I don't have my pursuit. My pursuit is, is Christ and is seeking the kingdom. Now, do we do that perfectly? No, but I'm saying even just the mindset of that, even just the mindset of, of as you ask God for wisdom, are you asking God for wisdom to understand what he's doing in the journey, knowing that that road 
is marked with suffering, that that road is marked with trials that, that are actually meant to produce something really good in us? Or is it in, is, is it that I'm asking for wisdom to understand, but I'm still like holding on to my own, my own life. And again, it goes back to then what is your, what's your goal? Like what do you, what do you, what's the aim of your life? You know, if the aim of your life, if you think of like the aim of your day, like if you want to get, I used fitness as an example, but if you want to get fit and that's your motivation, that's your goal, then you're not angry at, you, you don't feel it's unjust that your alarm went off at 6 a.m. if you're supposed to go work out. You're not mad at a physical, or, you know, a trainer for giving you weights to lift. You're not saying this is un- this is an unfair burden. All of it is developing you for lo- it's what you want. But if if someone forces fitness on you, it's a totally different thing. Like if your aim is it's Saturday, I want to sleep in and I want to eat junk food and sit on the couch and watch football. Well, now all of a sudden, a physical trainer is really obnoxious and downright rude because they're waking you up early when you wanted to sleep. They're taking you out to like trying to make you run and you want to sit on the couch. They're asking you to eat healthy and you don't want to do that. And so it's just like a total different mindset. And the question is like, what do you, what do you actually want? And James is pointing out if you're double-minded, that's like the person to, to use that analogy. That's like the person who says, I want to get fit, but I want to sit on the couch all day and eat junk food. So you're saying in theory, in theory, I want to follow God, and I want, I, yeah, I want, I want what God wants for me, but not at the expense of what I want. Which is then why James goes on and talks about our desires. Like it's we're lured away by our own desires. It's nobody else. Nobody else is tempting you in any way that you're not, you're not tempting yourself in. Yeah, and desire is a, such a powerful thing yeah. within us that, and it's interesting how, you know, sin ends up being disordered desires, right? That's a, that's a way I think of understanding what, what sin ends up being. Cause not all desire is wrong. Like no desire for what, for what God wants and desire to follow Jesus. And I, you struck as you were saying that about just our, basically our, our allegiance to him, our submission to him and following him kept making me think of the importance of us being reminded of our identity as a disciple. So like we are a, we are a disciple, a learner, a student, and he, Jesus is the master and he's other things too, right? He's savior. Mm -hmm. He's Lord. He's King. There's all kinds of um, different ways of that. Jesus is revealed to us. But I think that disciple master relationship is so crucial because in that we are saying you, you get my life, you get my obedience. And that and I realize that as I obey, there are going to be moments where I don't understand fully your ways, and your ways might not in initially appear to me to be life giving. Like like the when if you say I'm going to get fit and you start jogging the first time, it's going to really be painful, right? Not only while you do it, but afterwards, super it's painful. Um, but I think I love what you're how you're framing that, Jay, because if we assume that following him will be costly and following him will require our lives. Um, it feels very different if it's not just convenient all the time. And there are moments where we still do want something other than what Jesus wants. None of that is surprising. No. Because we're in the process of being transformed. 
I mean, it's part of what we're going to talk about in that class, that how people change class that, that we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights is what does that look like for desires that right now feels very strong and difficult to resist that are not for good things. How do those things change? Because to me, that's the, the miracle of following Jesus, that we can actually become new people, even at the desire level, where we actually start to desire new things and things we did want before we don't want as much anymore. How much yeah. do you think that like, I mean, I, I just am so struck. And again, I've, I've mentioned this so many times that Matthew 13, 44 is a, just a massive verse in my life that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man upon discovering it goes and with joy sells all that he has to buy the field. And so I'm always so struck of like, the problem is the way I see it. But if I think big picture and I think, if I just understood, the bottom line is what God has for us is an unimaginable inheritance, joy that is like inexpressible, peace that is you know an unsurpass- unsurpassing joy, an inexplicable peace, intimacy with the Father, which means being known and loved at a level that you just can't even fathom, that no human being could ever touch hope and confidence and uh, i mean identity purpose like all the things that we chase after god is offering them to us in just with extravagant generosity and the question is just simply do you believe that or not and do you want that and if you do then he is like the physical trainer. It, you know, not to keep going back to that, but it, for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm in my 40s. I'm like 40 something. Um, well, Paul uses 30, that. 30, 16. Paul says that, right. But I'm saying like just the idea of like the midlife, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you it, like think about anything that you want to be good at, and whether like if you imagine like fitness, if you talk to a trainer that is like the world's best trainer. And, and that trainer has a hundred percent success rate and everyone who has ever been trained by them says, man, you will be healthier and happier and have more energy and physically able to do things you never thought you would ever be able to do. And that is the testimony of everyone from this physical trainer. And then, so you say, okay, I'm going to sign up and, and and it's free. It's free. And he's got this waiting list or whatever, but you sign up and he says, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to train you then you got to believe that when he calls you at 5 a.m. and says, all right, get up, get up at 5 a.m. I mean, just imagine the person that on the first day is like, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. Well, then you obviously don't want, I mean, like if you want that, then you're going to say, okay, what? Yeah, you do whatever you have to do. You just tell me what to do and I will do it. And our world is full of people who, get that kind of confidence from other human beings who don't have near that success rate, right? Like think about how many get rich quick schemes there are for sale on the internet. I, I, like my Facebook feed, I'm nervous now to look, I don't even want to open Facebook right now because I guarantee you I'm going to have like training apps on there because, or like ads because it listens to me. And so yeah. it knows that that's what, you know, but we put far more trust in people who are far less deserving of it and are willing to put up with far more from human beings and question far less than we do with the creator of the universe who loved us and gave himself up for us and promises us 
endless riches. And when Jesus says, like, I, I wouldn't have told you that was the case if it wasn't the case. Like, why would I why would I lie to you if I tell you I'm going to prepare a place for you? And the same way, if if James, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, count it all joy, because look what he's doing. It would not be weird at all for that physical trainer for somebody. If you if I said to you, man, I had to get up at 5 a.m., and your response would likely be, dude, he's working with you. Count it joy that you're getting, you are on the path to being healthier and happier and everything than you've ever been. Like, be excited about what's happening there, even if you still don't like getting up at 5 a.m. And and I just think, like, it's sometimes we just so overcomplicate things and we say, well, yeah, but what about this? What about this? That's all distracting from the bottom line. If the kingdom is a treasure, if you believe that what God is offering you is what he is actually offering you, then the response would be, yeah, you're working all things together for good. Yes, I'm, I should count it joy when I meet these trials, um, knowing what you're doing in it and be thankful that you're doing this in, in me and that you even want that you're training me. Like, who am I that you chose me, adopted me, rescued me? Like, why? So I don't know. That's I, just mindset. I think you really just illustrated to me what could be a really important practical thing for all of us. That would be awesome if you so, make this more practical. Well, I was just thinking, so two things you illustrated there. One, like the the friend talking to the person who doesn't want to train and kind of giving them a bit of a pep talk, but really what they're doing yeah. is reminding them right. of the situation. Yeah. So that's one thing that obviously throughout the Bible, we are encouraged and commanded to do, to encourage one another, build one another up. And that's part of why that's so important, right? Because we very quickly lose perspective on where we are situated and who it is that we are, we've been bought by and purchased by and, and who we are now. So we need to remind each other of that. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that we all need to be connecting with Jesus is not just for ourselves, but for other people, because when we're connected with him, abiding in him, we are able to help others see where they are and who God is. And we can't do that unless we're actually alive in him. Right. Um, so that's the one practical thing is we need people in our lives who are going to remind us of what the end goal is, who we are, who God is and how he's with us. The other thing, um, that just really struck me is the intentional act of being thankful for the things we can see. And I, I actually did that yesterday. I was just having this like midday kind of lull and, and just, I don't know, feeling a little like down and for whatever reason, God snapped me out of it by just reminding me of some simple acts of grace that I had received that day from him. At that, at that moment, the sun was shining and it was really pleasant. And so rather than just experiencing that, I had to take the step, though, of actively thanking him for that. And that's what you just illustrated there, too, is this active step. So when we're in the middle of suffering or really anything that we just don't like, it can be really helpful to just take the basic steps of saying, God, help me to see your mercies. Help me to be aware of your goodness throughout this day. And then Lord, give me the grace to thank you when I see it. And uh, we can pray that for each other too, that we would see it. But to me, that's just a practical part of, of walking through life um, when we do face suffering. And life, when we finally realize we don't get to follow Jesus on our own terms, that's just not going to work. We follow him on his terms. Um, to follow him on our own terms is, I think, that double-minded pursuit where we, we just kind of hold on. Um, I'll do this as long as it's going the way I want it to go. You know? Yeah, and that's the 
that is double-minded because you're saying I want, and and again, this is where there's, I mean, anybody that's ever been, um, when you get angry at God, it's typically, it's tip. Well, I shouldn't say typically. I would I would say, it's almost always that a person is upset that God did not fulfill a promise that he never made. It's just so, it's so amazing. Again, going back to the physical training thing, if that dude gets me up at 5 a.m. and I'm mad at him because you, you, like, you promised I could sleep in. And he's like, no, I didn't. That was never anything I promised. Why would you, why would you assume that you could? And I think, um, you know, we all want faith that is strong. We all want faith that is enduring. We all want joy that is not determined by our circumstances. But we don't want God to do the work, the hard work of building that faith, building that joy, you know, the to build the faith muscles to be cheesy, but also I think helpful. Um, we just don't, we don't want it. We don't want, and that comes back to desire and and that's not a again not a shaming thing it's a reality like pointed out thing of just saying okay i just need to be aware when when i am being double minded i want to be aware of that i just don't i don't want to be fooled i don't want to double down on that destructive thought pa- pattern by then defending it and saying and thinking it's legitimate and i think that's important even in community to make sure that that you know we don't have to like be harsh. We didn't, we're never supposed to be harsh with each other. Sometimes you need a gentle rebuke. Sometimes you, but, but it's okay to grieve with somebody, but you don't have to validate. I understand why when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, why they go through moments of, of questioning God and, and being angry and yelling and confused and all that. I do not, I don't blame people at all for feeling that way, but I, I want to be careful even as I'm grieving with them that I'm not going to validate the accusation that God is not with them, right? Like I'm not going to validate the accusation. I can grieve with them and lament and I don't have to correct that accusation in that moment, but I also don't have to, I don't have to validate it. And I don't know if you have any tips with that because you are, um, you are the counseling expert here, Mm. but how do you, how do you, um, do you say careful? Yeah. <laughs> how do you, um, how do you encourage somebody or remind someone without minimizing the pain or the grief or the confusion that they're dealing with? Yeah. I mean, the word is empathy, right? And I think sometimes we do get nervous about empathy. Some people do because they can feel like to be empathetic is to somehow validate maybe like like that like what you just said god isn't with you and it's not that at all i would say empathy is is what jesus did when he took on flesh actually he yeah. he actually was like i'm going to enter into your space and understand what it's like for you so part of what empathy is it's a kind of love that that enters into tries to enter in as best we can to another person's world and experience yeah so 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 say someone says well god has abandoned me he's not with me in in that moment, I think the way we image Jesus, like the way we reflect him, is to really imagine what would that be like if I actually felt that? That is really scary and painful. So I can go in then and I can try to 
comfort a person with what they feel in that moment and at the same time say, can I remind you of what God has revealed to us about Jesus and about his presence with us? Like right now you are starving, it sounds like. You're desperate. And he has promised that he is the manna from heaven. He is our bread. And he has what you need right now so much. I'm so sad that this is how you feel. Like that's how I think we do that. So if you think of empathy as a way of not assuming we know how a person feels, but working to understand it by asking loving questions and really listening well, then once we understand that or we get a picture of it, um, we can feel what would that feel like and imagine it and then enter into what would God say to that? And like you said, it's never harsh because God isn't harsh. So we are meant to reflect him. He's never that way. One of the reasons I think empathy is really, we love empathy from a person who's, who's giving it to us well, like in a loving way, because it actually reflects who God is. The same with kindness or patience. That's who God has revealed himself to be. And we love the, that. It's like in us to love that, to love who he is. I don't know if yeah, that was I helpful. Think, but. I think it is. And I think, I mean, I, I point to this a lot as a great example of that is is with Mary and Martha and, and mm-hmm. Lazarus when Jesus, he's empathizing with their grief. And, and I think what you're saying is putting himself in their position, even though he knows... Mm-hmm that he's going to resurrect Lazarus now, and he also knows that the resurrection, the final resurrection is coming. So either, like both, he is fully aware that this pain is temporary. But I love what you said there of putting yourself in that position and saying, what would it be like if I was asking those questions or if I was feeling that way? So what would it feel like if I had just said goodbye to my brother and and afraid I'm never going to see him again. And he enters into that grief of that brokenness with them um, and then calls Lazarus out. And I think, um, so I, I think that's a great model for what that looks like. Um, and I tried to point that out on Sunday, you know, in talking about temptation and desires and realizing that you aren't tempted by the same things. Like we have different temptations. And so you don't have to empathize in the sense of you know what it's like to be tempted by that thing but you do know what it's like to be tempted. Like you do know what it's like to be lured by your desires and to want something that you know is not of God and is not helpful and not um, beneficial. And, and so you can, you can empathize in that way. Um, I did get, I got some feedback. I'd mentioned, I kind of pointed to that, but um, the question was kind of around like, what's the role of the Holy spirit? And, um, feeling like it would have been a good time to talk about how the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us um, recognize and see things. And um, and it's funny because I got that text and I thought, yeah, you're right. Like I, I, I look back and I think, man, um, you know, we so often talk about the Holy Spirit and, and how he is who indwells us and ask him. Like when you're asking God for wisdom, that's who's giving it to you is the Holy Spirit, you know, um, and so I think being reminded and w- w- where I think that's really helpful is being reminded that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and can open your eyes in a moment. So there have been many times in my life where I have just not been able to see at all um, God's presence or goodness in a moment. Just not even, I just can't even, can't even see a glimmer of it. And then praying and asking, and then the next moment having my whole 
vision changed. It's it's a little bit like remember those um, optical illusion paintings or the painting where you could see either a vase or two people looking at each other or an old woman or a young woman or whatever. And like once you see something, it's very hard to unsee it. Like if you ever seen, if anybody knows about those paintings or whatever, you know yes. what I'm talking about. Yes. Once you see the one thing, it's very hard to see the other thing until one moment where you do see the other thing and then you can't see the other, you can't even remember how you could have seen the other thing, right? Yeah, you, so you can't undo it. Yeah, you can't. It's very hard to undo it. But like in a moment, all of a sudden, this picture looks like a completely different thing than what you thought it was a minute ago. And I think that's such a good illustration of what of the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's able to do that if you want it, and this is James's point, like, do you really want it? I think not only do we need to question ourselves of, do I really want what God is offering? Do I believe what he's offering? Do I want that? Or do I actually want the things that I want? Um, do I think that the things that I'm chasing are more fulfilling? But then the other thing is like, do you want to see it differently? I mean, we have all been in debates or arguments with somebody where you realize on either side where you realize like, you just don't, you don't want to see this. Like you just don't even, you don't want to hear this. You don't want to think something differently. And I think unfortunately for, for many people in the church, that is also going on. There is like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, but really what I want to do is just put my accusation out there to God. I don't really want to see this differently. I don't want to have different desires than what I have right now. I don't want to give up or die to myself. So I don't really want to see it like that. And I think we just need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves those questions um, so that we can be open to the Spirit moving and saying, okay, no, Holy Spirit, I really do want to see. I want to see what you're doing here, and I want to embrace what what you are... um, how you are working things together for good. And I, and, and what I love about then how James steers that then in saying that God is the giver of all good gifts. So again, this is not like we choose this path and it is some kind of form of sacrifice. Like I give up my desires and that's a form of sacrifice. Like Jesus died for me. So the least I could do is give up my desires it's just such a, like, that's often where we go of like, yep, all right, I'm going to do my duty. And like, that's, that's what life's about is like putting to death, like, don't do the things you want to do. And James is saying, listen, you're not giving up anything because he's the giver of all good gifts. So if you die to your desires, so as surely as what we talked about of what God is providing, the reality is, is if I could just completely put to death all of my fleshly desires and receive the desires God has for me, then literally everything that I am receiving is better because every good gift comes from God. And so anything anything that I am enjoying right now, if I take on the desire of, of God for me for that thing, I'm going to enjoy it better. So like dumb example, um, I felt convicted years ago that sports was just, it was just too big in my life. I was just orienting my life too much around it. And I felt like I needed to give that up, just give up watching sports, but I didn't want to. And I didn't, I, I wasn't trusting that God's desire for me was better, that what God was going to replace that with was better. All I could think of was like, oh, that would be sad that I didn't, you know, I just really love watching college football. And so what would it be like if I just didn't do that? And 
and so I did like I gave I I just gave it up and whatever and and then what has happened since then is God has given that back to me for different reasons in different ways and it just is so much more enjoyable now like it doesn't it doesn't rule my life it doesn't plan my schedule it doesn't like so every once in a while if I see you know or I watch an Iowa game with my family or whatever like it's very enjoyable and um and it's better and so like trying to convince somebody that like if you love fishing but you find that fishing is luring you away literally see what I did there I do luring away um, from pursuing Christ because it's it's it is domineering in, in your time and your desires and your thoughts and everything. Putting that to death in you doesn't mean that you're never going to fish again. It, but it means that you're actually going to enjoy fishing more. Like it will be a better enjoyment. It will be um, anybody that has had a hobby that is actually pulling you away knows the kind of guilt that comes in with that. Like, ah, am I spending too much money, too much time, too much whatever? And then what ends up happening is God says, yeah, listen, I created fishing. I know what I'm doing with that. I know how you're supposed to enjoy that. Let me show you how to enjoy that. And then you find that is it's actually way more enjoyable. And so we just have to get over this idea that what God is wanting is give up your desires because I want you to be miserable. No, and James is saying he's the giver of all good gifts. Like, why would you not? He's, why would you not let him show you how to enjoy the gifts that he is giving you? There's no good gift that you could have that God doesn't know that he wasn't the designer of. Literally everything is the gift that he created and purchased and offered to you. And we act like, oh, God doesn't know anything about fishing. Yeah. Well, like he's stingy. Like he's stingy, he's holding back, and yeah. he's like, okay, well, you can just don't play too long. Like he's not, he's not that way. He wants us to enjoy it fully. I mean, years ago, this reminds me years ago, um, you know, I love Dallas Willard books and I remember reading a section about his disciples and in the gospels and how he was just making the point that none of these people who follow Jesus did so because they had to, in the sense of like, they just, I guess I have to do this now. They heard him teach and saw him, the power in him. And it was the, by far the best thing they had ever heard or seen or experienced. So giving up their lives. So when he said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me in discipleship, right? That was not bad news, or it was actually really good news that they couldn't believe that they got the opportunity to go after. Like this, this wasn't, I guess I really, if I really want to avoid going to the bad place, I need to do this thing so that I go to the good place. It's not what was going on. It was, he has the words of life. Where else would we go to receive that? We've received it from him. Yeah, and God isn't stingy. He's generous and overflowing and abundant. And he wants what is good for us all the time. So that's a really important, so yeah, you, th- those two stories that, the the second one, so you're you know quoting, where else are we going to go? I mean, that's after Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and yep. and then the crowds leave. It's too much. They're like, what in the world, man? Yeah. And it's because they don't trust what he's actually offering. So what's fascinating about that is he says to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And their response is, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So what they're saying is, we believe you in what you're offering. They're not saying, 
why would we leave? We think that sounds awesome. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Totally on board with that. Yeah. Totally understand that. Heard that a million times yeah. before. <laughs> they have no idea what he's talking about and it probably freaked them out. But what they're saying is we believe you that you are who you say you are and you're offering what you say you're offering. And so nothing is going to knock us off course in that. And I think that's so critical because we should not feel shame or guilt for grieving in the midst of trials. Like James is not saying, hey, so put on a happy face. Mm -hmm. Stop being so downtrodden. Big Um, baby. Yeah, you big baby. (laughs) Like, you know, it's good for you. Um, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the reason you can count it all joy is similar to when the author of Hebrews says that, that Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. The cross was not a joyful experience for Jesus or for anyone else. It was for the joy before him that he endured it because it's, it's worth it. And we have lots of examples in all of our lives Christian, non-Christian, everyone can point to things that we say, well, yeah, that is hard, but what you get from that is worth it. So everybody would say that about anything. Like if you value academics, then studying is hard, but it's getting, you know, succeeding in that is worth it. Going to work is hard, but getting the paycheck is worth it. Marriage is hard, but the, the intimacy and the enjoyment of that is worth it you know, parenting, friendships, like all these things, we'd say these are hard. It is so common in our understanding of how the world works. And yet when we apply it to God, all of a sudden we we kind of lose sight of that. But it's okay. It's okay to not understand the trial that you're facing. It's okay to be sad and to grieve the trial that you're facing. It's okay to feel overwhelmed by the trial that you're facing. It's okay to ask God questions about the trial and to even ask, is this necessary, God? Can you relieve this? That is what Jesus did when he said, if it, like, if it's your will, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. So none of those things are what James is talking about in being double-minded, being confused, being unsure that you can handle it, being unsure that you'll survive it grieving over the loss of whatever's happening, like all of those things are are normal and are not what James is talking about in being double-minded. It's all about what do you see on the other side? Do you still see that God is calling you on that road and you say, okay, I will, like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to handle this. I don't want this trial. I have prayed that prayer so many times. God, I don't want this trial. Is there another way that you can build this faith in me? Like, I want you... And I want, and I will go down any road that you're calling me to go down. But I, I would prefer a different road. That's not double-minded. Double-minded is when you're questioning whether God is good in that, or if he, if he's wise, and if you're meshing those things and saying, "Okay, God, I want to hear your case, and then I'm going to compare it to what I think we should do, and then I'm gonna like maybe I'll try to incorporate some, or if that makes sense to me, then I'll go down the road." That is what the crowds were doing with Jesus. They heard what he said. They're like, "Mm, I don't really like that. Not really so sure about what you're offering. And they left. The disciples were the one who were not double-minded. The disciples were the ones who, even though they didn't understand, even though that was scary and confusing to them, they stayed because Jesus had the words of eternal life. That's being single-minded. Yeah, and I I like that you're you're painting the picture as, 
single-mindedness does not mean that we've yet reached completion, right? No. Like we still are. And he says that, um, that we're, that we're headed towards, um, what was the word that he used? And I think you defined it as wholeness. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect and complete. Yeah. And, and that's so yeah, when wholeness. It, when Bible talks about perfect, it's not saying without sin. That's not what he's referring to. It's yeah. Wholeness of life. Like everything is unified in this pursuit of Jesus. And when it has its full effect, you know, that, and and then paralleling it with Romans five, that's what I love about that is saying that I love when Paul says that and hope does not put us to shame. Like this idea that your confidence in Jesus will always be proven correct. Mm -hmm. Like we all have confidence in different things in the world and different people that then we're put to shame by and putting air quotes around it, like varying degrees um, you think about something trivial, like your confidence in a sports team, and then you lose, and then you're like, "Oh, well, that's that's embarrassing." I thought we were better than that, you know. Or your confidence in your ability to complete a job, or to like whatever. But the idea with Christ is that it never puts us to shame. Our hope in Christ is always um, validated by how Christ delivers on His promises, and so that's what. that simple idea of every time I trust Jesus, he proves himself worthy of that trust, which means the next time I have that opportunity, I'm more likely to trust him. And each time that grows stronger and stronger and stronger, which is steadfastness, which as that has its full effect, eventually like I'm like I'm holistically Mm -hmm. trusting him in every area because he's proven himself over and over and over and over again. And that's something we learn. Yeah. Right. By experience. Right. And that's why follow, like even, even when we say following Jesus is, is Mm -hmm. not just a moment. It's like, it's a life, right? And the disciples are great examples of that. How, well, many, how long did it take for them to get some of the simplest things? Right. It would have taken us the same. I'm it would have taken us oh, longer. Yeah, but like you, it would have it's taken. a journey. It is. Well, imagine if he would have led off with, like if when he's calling Peter out of the boat, you know, from fishing, not to walking on water. But if his first interaction with Jesus was Jesus saying, hey, I want you to come be my disciple. That means you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yep. My guess is Peter had been like, hmm. No, thanks. Yeah, like, I'll keep fishing. Yeah, but it's because he had seen over and over again who Jesus was. And now it gets to the place where he's like, I don't understand that, but I have enough track record with you right now to trust whatever it is you're talking about is something I want. And that's getting to that place of like, okay, God, I don't, I don't fully understand this right now, but I trust you. I trust that you know better than me, which then goes to our humility of like we, the, the Bible is full of warnings about not leaning on your own understanding, not assuming that, that you and I can fully figure out how the universe works. I mean, it's just, it's silly that we even have to say it, but we do because we are very confident in our understanding of things and our interpretation of things. I mean, just think about all of us are experts in illnesses now and everything because we read we read a couple of headlines on Google and all of a sudden and anyone that is in a field like it's not hard to empathize. Just whatever field you are an expert in, 
whatever thing you have a lot of experience in, just imagine having an argument with somebody who has read one article they found on Google. And so now all of a sudden they're an expert on how farming should be done or how construction should be done or how, like any of these things, just like, imagine how, how frustrating that would be. And yet that's what we do with God all the time. Like mm, creator of the universe, I don't think you really know what's going on. I don't think you really understand my situation here today. I think I know. I think I know what's going on. Have you considered that? <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. you considered the maybe? Blank. Like, <laughs> and that's so, it's so funny when you say it, but it's also sad because it is what goes on. And the Bible warns us of that. Like, you're going to think that. You're going to be lured by your own desires because you're going to think God's holding back on you. But let me tell you, he's not. And yet we keep doing it. But anyway. There you go. That's a, that's not a very happy note to end on. <clears throat> well, there any uh, is there any of your other comments in the live chat that we needed to talk the about? The live or? chat. Someone someone wanted to compliment your shirt. Oh, thank you. That was nice of you. Yeah, good. The live YouTube. That'd that's, be fun. We could be on video too. Well, yeah, that's what the that's what a lot of the podcasts are doing these days. Yeah, we'll They're going on up. YouTube and then they do a live live stream on YouTube, and then everyone like. I can't even imagine trying to juggle that, man. I can barely juggle the things you're saying. Yeah, my yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I can do like one thing at a time. So that's when we bring Kristoff in to be yeah. the producer. We're All right, do it. Okay, we are Glad gonna do someone that. suggested that. That's a great, that's great suggestion from the live chat yeah. that we should do a live chat. I yeah, think I think we'll do maybe we'll do find an anniversary of the podcast. I don't even know we're coming up on we're coming up on four well three and a half years I think yeah. of doing it. Three and a half years. Three years. Time is. Odd. I don't even like know what to say to it that. It feels like it could time be is that what time long is. that we've been doing it. but It could be what? It doesn't feel like it could have been that long, but I think you're right. Well, it's definitely been that long. It's been at least three years. I mean, I remember back in the old days when I used to say what episode number it was, and I don't even know what episode number we're on now. I bet Christoph does. Christoph probably does. Well, it's because Christoph does all the work behind the scenes to mm-hmm. produce it and mix it and do all this stuff. So thanks, Christoph. Thanks, buddy. He doesn't actually listen to it, though, so he won't hear us say thank you. <laughs> he listens. He's like going to come in and shaking his head in a little while. Well, he might. He listens to the very beginning and the very end, I think, so he makes sure he puts things on there. But, yeah, he's not paying attention to what happens in minute 27. We could totally put something in the middle of there, and, like, Christoph won't catch that. So, all right. Well, AJ, I hope it's I hope been helpful. the rest of your day is awesome, buddy, and your birthday. Well, thanks. We're going to see all the live chat. No one in the live chat has said happy birthday. Not one person. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, huh. me too. Boo live chat. All right. <laughs> well, we hope it's been helpful. Um, as always, we want to help you walk through this. As Jeff pointed out, we've got to do this in community. And that just continues to be a burden on my heart is wanting to see people connected in real community. That'll be life-giving. Um, and just another reminder, it's not easy. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes energy. But as we've been talking about, anything worth having has a cost to that, and and it's worth it. So um, we would love to help you figure that out. We know it's scary, so um, you can fill out a communication card, send us an email at connect at faithpestigo.com, and we would love to help you connect. Um, That's also how you can reach us with any questions. But again, thank you for taking the time. Until next time, grace and peace. Peace.